0: Good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grody, your host for this program. Thank you for joining us. You're hearing us on EWTN, and we're coming to you from the Coming Home Network International studio in Ohio. And uh, it's a a pleasure to to spend time with you talking about the Word of the Lord. And uh, the passage that we're going to look at today, the guest has chosen for today, I I think touches on... uh, issues in our lives today in this world where uh, many of us feel a lot of fear, whether it's a fear we overtly recognize, we we can identify the things in our life that make us afraid, whether it's um, terrorists or the economy. Or uh, maybe some are very afraid of the future for even our country and uh, the direction of our government. Some are, are very verbal in their fears about that. Or whether they're fears that we can't quite put a finger on, uh, but yet we feel the stress in our life. Um, maybe it's because we feel detached from meaning. Maybe we, uh, we, we fear our own future. We fear the decisions we've made, the results of those, Uh, whatever it is, the passage that we're looking at today, an Old Testament passage from the the beautiful book of Isaiah, has in it a very strong promise, a word of assurance that came from the Lord, and our guest today has chosen this as our passage to discuss, and uh, it's a great privilege to have on our program Uh, Dr. Rhonda Shervin. Uh, Rhonda is um, a familiar uh, uh, guest on EWTN. She's been on my Journey Home program I I think twice. Uh, She has a PhD in philosophy from Fordham University and MA in religious studies from Notre Dame Apostolic Institute. Uh, She's a writer, a mother, a grandmother. Uh, Rhonda uh, is a in in essence, a convert to the Catholic Church from Judaism, though she was an atheistic Jew. Uh, And uh, she has been a professor of philosophy and theology at a number of colleges at Loyola Marymount, the Seminary of the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, uh, the Franciscan University of Steubenville. Uh, She's a well-known speaker, international speaker, and uh, this amazes me. She's an author of some 50 books about Catholic thought, practice, and spirituality, I'm just wondering where Rhonda finds the time. We'll talk about that when she gets back, because uh, uh, you know I'm a, an aspiring writer, but uh, that just uh, makes my makes me break out in sweat thinking of writing that many books. But that's part of her charism. That's one of the gifts Rhonda has, and maybe we can talk about how the Lord has used her in a great number of ways to share her own journey, to share her faith, especially her philosophy background, which. Um, I, I told her reminded her just before the program that actually the first philosophy book I ever read was the one that she helped uh, co-authored. She's currently uh, teaching philosophy at Holy Apostles College and Seminary in Cromwell, Connecticut. And she's involved with, uh, she'll talk about it, Brides of Christ Community and will uh, that website, Bride of Christ community is, linked on the deepinscripture.com website as well as shervin.com That's linked in our website to Rhonda's web to her own personal website. When she joins us in a moment, we'll talk about the Isaiah 43 passage. Uh, but I want to remind you, we'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to give us a call, a question for Rhonda, you can do so at 800 664 5110 or the regular coming home network phone number, 740-450-1175, or you can send us an email at marcus, M-E-R-C-U-S, at com. Our website, com. you can click on a link and watch the program live on the internet. Now, let me read you this passage, Isaiah 43, 1-2, through essentially in the middle of Isaiah, and again, the, the focus word, I think, in this passage is around the word fear as the starting point. But from there, the Lord has some very important reassuring things for us to hear, beginning with verse 1 and then verse 2. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi. And you're hearing us on EWTN, your Global Catholic Radio Network. EWTN.com is online with program information, the latest news, Pope Benedict XVI, plus tools for living the faith like prayers, Catholic Q&A, and other resources. Log on today to EWTN.com.
1: If you enjoy the Journey Home television program on EWTN, you'll want to purchase a copy of Marcus Gordy's book, Journey's Home, Journey's Home contains the conversion stories of men and women who, as a result of their surrender to Jesus Christ, heard a call to follow Him more completely in the Catholic Church. Many of them were Protestant pastors or missionaries. Others were laymen who, though working in secular jobs, took their calling to serve Christ in the world very seriously. To order your copy of Marcus Grodyte's book, Journey's Home, Simply visit our website at www.chresources.com or call us toll free at
0: 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi. And uh, my guest today is Rhonda Shervin. Hello, Rhonda.
2: Hello, Marcus.
0: Thank you for joining us on the program. I've uh, the only uh, i often said this on, on radio and television when I have, I have the privilege of being a host in terms of in, inviting guests like you to join me, but the only negative thing is the only time I get to talk to you is when we're on the air. Uh, it would be nicer to be near you and to be able to share.
2: Well, that's uh, gonna happen in heaven, won't
0: it? That's exactly <laughs> right, this is all preparation. But uh, I do thank you for joining us. Let, There's a couple things we could talk about, I think, before we uh, start uh, digging into the text. But um, I do want you to talk, as you did on the journey home last time, um, about your desire uh, to be a dedicated widow. And the reason I want you to do that is I remember when you were talking about that in the journey home, my mother is a widow and my father passed away four or five years ago. And I wanted her to hear what you had to say, because sometimes people feel when they get of age, I'm there, that their usefulness is behind them.
2: Oh, yes, that's very, very important. And it's very linked to the passage that I chose, called by name, Yes, is that sometimes um, widows feel as if they were appendages to their husbands. And that as soon as they no longer call themselves Mrs. John Smith, say, uh-huh. and just check, it's a terrible moment for the widow the first time you check the box widow instead of married. Yeah. And you could feel Well, the widow is a very negative image in our culture, actually. Think about it, black widow, spider, oh. <laughs> yeah, things like that. Yeah. Um, the widow is, you know, considered weak, and a burden in many ways, or can be seen that way. And um, well, I you, think this is so pervasive yeah. that uh, it's very hard to, to get a Christian sense of being a widow. So I found it fascinating when I started doing research. I have a book about being a widow, that uh, Jeanette Benkovich has published. Oh, uh-huh. It's called Walk With Me, Jesus, and it's about the widow saints and what they can, how they can help us. Mm-hmm. And um, it was very important to me to see what these different widow saints did, and they were just colossal figures in the Church, <laughs> especially, you know, just from, especially it surprised me. I didn't know that the earliest consecration in the Church, which you can find in Acts and Letters... Is the widow consecration, and there were the scripture describes two types of widows: gossipy, alcoholic wib- widows, and widows <laughs> who devoted themselves to Christ yeah. and the church. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, of course, we want to be that second kind. But um, I did research on this, and they're in the Catholic Church. Consecrated widows are being revived, but it's a it's a long process. Okay. So, in the meantime. I call myself a dedicated widow, which consists simply in making a private promise before a priest, any priest, that you're not going to remarry, that you're going to live for Christ in the Church, and you can work out your whole little rule Mm -hmm. of life of how you want to pray and what you want to do each day and... So forth. for Catholics of course, going to daily Mass if you possibly can is the best thing you can do. Mm-hmm. And of course just going to daily mass, we, we, many widows are able to do this who weren't able to do this when they were mothers of large families, it would be very more difficult. But as widows, we have a lot more free time until we begin volunteering, and then we can be as busy as we were before. <laughs> but, uh, right. but however, just the thing of listening to those words, this is my body, this is my blood, yeah. and having the priest present Jesus your bridegroom, and he comes right into you. See, he's our second or third bridegroom if we were widowed twice. I, I meet some some like that. So, but he's our second bridegroom, see, and the bridegroom wants to be right inside us, and that's a tremendous consolation. The whole image changes once you're a widow, mm-hmm. because then he is your second bridegroom in a different way than he's the bridegroom of the whole Church. It gets more individual. You feel more called by name to have this new role in the Church.
0: You know, as you were talking, I was, what, uh, I was thinking about uh, that whole Ephesians 5 section where it describes the... Um, you know, the way that a wife is to be subject to her husband and a husband is to love her, love his wife as Christ loved the church, that whole mutual relationship that's there. And I was thinking of the passage as you were saying that, you know, wives be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. It made me realize that in marriage, this, it isn't, What Paul was not talking about, of course, was husbands subject your wives. You know, uh, uh, that's not what it said. It's husbands give completely of yourselves to your wife as Christ loved the church. And then the wife passage, the focus is on doing all that she can to help her husband be a saint as in the Lord. And so when the husband's gone, you take the husband out of that paragraph you have that direct connect between the widow, the wife, and the Lord. You, you've given yourself for your husband. And then and what I'm getting at is the danger that often happens of of a husband or a wife seeing that their only meaning is in life is their spouse. So when the spouse is gone, now what?
2: Yes, yes. Well, I think I always tell widows who are grieving The grief you experience is directly related to the gift of love that you had. If you had a horrible relationship to your husband, you're not grieving. You're you're delighted. (laughs) You've gotten rid of him finally. (laughs) So it's because of that gift of all those years of love that we have this great grief. On the other hand, it should be that the whole marriage is walking hand in hand with your husband. Facing Jesus yes,
0: in the Lord as your
2: Savior. Yes. See, to the extent that you were overly dependent on your spouse is the extent that it's not just grief, but desperation. So yeah. we should grieve, but we shouldn't feel desperate, because as I see it, you were holding, you had one hand in the hand of, of Christ and one hand in the hand of your spouse, So then you take that hand that was in your spouse's hand and give both hands to Jesus, and you tell him, well, okay, now you take care of me. (laughs) See, the the widow saints describe in detail how they were so confused and indecisive and bereft after their husbands uh, died, and then how Jesus helps them both directly in prayer but also through the church and through all the people who help widows. There are many, many passages about Mm -hmm. how people are supposed to help widows, and every time they're proclaimed in church, I perk up my head and I look around (laughs) and I sort of say, Notice, I'm a widow. Help me. (laughs) And people do. People will be very helpful.
0: Recently on the journey home, I had uh, Jim and Joy Pinto, and they do a lot of ministry with marrieds. And on that program they talked about a particular prayer that they promote called the face prayer. And basically it's about praying for your spouse and seeing in their face Jesus. Seeing in the face of your spouse, your husband, your wife, seeing Jesus. And so if a wife is to submit to her husband as as in the Lord, really what it means is you're looking, you're seeing the face of Jesus in your husband husbands. You see the face of Jesus in your wife. And, you know, the. it seems to me that the focus on that, then when they're gone, when you've lost your spouse, your focus has been right all along. <laughs> you've been focusing on Jesus. Uh, and so you're able to offer your spouse to the Lord. And, and Rhonda, I'm thinking that one of the reasons that... Uh, there's such a call for us to be concerned about widows and orphans. Orphans make sense, right? Who's going to take care of them? But I'm wondering if if you feel that there are a lot of widows out there who have not had the nurturing community to help them prepare for their widowhood.
2: Uh oh, it's very complex. You have oh, first of all you have some widows who don't didn't have children. Yes. Then you have widows um, who have children who they love deeply, but where there are all sorts of rifts in the family due to the fact that many widows that I know, many, many widows have children who have left the faith. Yes. So then they feel very lonely because even though they can talk about the grandchildren and they can talk about all sorts of other things, they can't really share their full faith life if the kids don't pray anymore, for instance. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of them pray but don't go to church, but it's a very conflictual scene. So one of the things in this community that I've joined, it's, by the way, automatically you said, Marcus, Bride I of did. Christ, and I it, did. that's not the title. The title is Bride of Christ Community, mm-hmm. meaning the Church as the Bride, mm-hmm. and we are serving the Bride. So, widows who are interested, this community would have, uh, will have lay, it already has lay people in it, and it will eventually have sisters and brothers and associate priests or priests who are, it was founded by a priest, a diocesan priest, Father Martin Jones, and you can read about that on the website. But in any case, we have a category called widow servants, and these would be widows who would live right around the priest and pray liturgy of the hours with him and serve him in that parish community. Mm-hmm. And see, when a widow does that, she feels less lonely, of course. Because, mm-hmm. you know, even if you were a daily communicant and you're doing different apostolic activities in the Church, you what about all the rest of the time? What are you going to do? Yeah. See, so um, I think it's very important for families to invite widows for dinners, look into holidays, you know, if they don't have a family of their own. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, certainly this is all, but there's an element here that, that somehow when you were describing seeing Christ in the face of your spouse... Yes that seems to give the impression of a very good marriage. And many of us didn't have such great marriages, and we had a lot of conflict and a lot of wounds. And I'm thinking that two times when I was very mad at my husband, only twice was I that mad that I started really thinking about divorce. (laughs) But but as a Catholic, I wouldn't do that. They weren't huge things, see? Mm -hmm. I mean, that you could get an annulment for or anything. They were just... Very wounding things. Mm -hmm. But in any case, those two times I suddenly looked at his face and he looked so vulnerable. Uh And suddenly I saw, in that way, I saw Christ in his face that he was so disappointed that I was so disappointed. And, you know, so the face of Christ isn't always the face of the victorious Christ. It could be. The face of the wounded, disappointed Christ that you see.
0: Well, when you think of Mother Teresa, I mean, she uh, sees Jesus in in the poorest of the poor that she's holding in her arms, uh, and just like you said, it's a it's a wounded Christ or a sad Christ or one that's been uh, been beaten or abused. Uh, we.
2: Well, us, us, yeah. uh, our husbands could have feel, felt beaten by us yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in certain right. ways. Right. You know, whatever faults we have that were impacted on on the spouse, there's a wonderful line from the poet Auden. W.H. Auden was this Catholic poet from years back. He has this terrific line, which I use when I'm giving, giving talks on forgiveness to people. He says... Thou shalt love thy crooked neighbor with thy crooked self. (laughs) See, so it's like we have to forgive our enemies. Well, many times we feel as if the people in our own families are our enemies in different respects. And we can't be saying, well, I, out of the glorious, saintly virtuousness of myself, am going to step down to you, poor sinner, and forgive you. <laughs> it's more like mutual forgiveness yeah, yeah. because we've all failed each other in different ways.
0: It's it's from beside, not from above.
2: Uh, yes. Yeah. Oh, very good image. Yes.
0: When when we're going to take a break, Rhonda. When we come back, I want to focus a second back on that passage in the sense that that word "Fear not, for I have redeemed you." When you when you chose this passage, was this a message in this passage that brought you from uh, a fear that you may have had in your atheistic world into Christianity, or was this a passage that uh, that brought you all the way to the Catholic Church, or was this a passage that uh, spoke most to you uh, in your widowhood after the passing of your husband? Let's talk about that when we get back from the break. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi. Joined today by Dr. Rhonda Shervin, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. Next time on EWTN Live, soldiers have long paid the ultimate price to ensure safety and freedom for all. Join Father Mitch when he talks with Marlene Watkins and a military chaplain about the Lord's military pilgrimage. That's on the next EWTN Live.
1: EWTN Live with Father Mitch Pacwa is seen and heard around the world. For dates and times in your area, log on to EWTN.com. Follow the compelling journey of one man who became a Church of Christ minister and found himself entering the Catholic Church. Bruce Sullivan shares his conversion story in his new book titled Christ in His Fullness. In this book, he communicates a passionate love for Christ and the inexhaustible treasures of grace found in the Catholic Church. Perhaps you, too, will discover the same riches in the fullness of Christ. To order a copy of this book for yourself or a friend, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org, or call us at 1-800-664-5110.
0: Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Groda. I am joined today by Dr. Rhonda Shervin. Rhonda, that passage, um, it, I'm not sure if this is where you wanted to go today in our discussion, but it fascinates me to think about your journey from a Jewish atheist to the Catholic faith. When, yes. I, when, I, when I look at that passage, I'm thinking that the f- the words in that passage, Fear not, for I... I have redeemed you I have called you by name you are mine. Now from an atheistic perspective my guess is none of that would have registered with you at all.
2: Well um yes um my I ha- I came from a Jewish cultural background but it was totally atheistic that is we didn't <laughs> believe in god we never went to any synagogue we never did any traditions Nothing like that, because we believed that there was no such thing as God, and religion was for the weak and the stupid. So we never had any background in that. And as a young philosophy student, basically I was a materialist. I didn't believe there was any spiritual component to us. So I had such a low opinion of us. We were just like grains of sand on the beach. That's very different yeah. than I've been called by name. Thou art mine. <laughs> you know, to, so the transition was huge, and that passage was given to me on a holy card. Was written on a holy card at the date of my baptism by my godparents, <laughs> because my godfather thought that that would be key to me to get over, to be healed of all sorts of fears yeah. through believing. That I was called by name. Mm-hmm. You know, I, Rhonda, called by Jesus to be his. And this has followed me all through my life. I like to say, after receiving the body and blood of Jesus in Holy Communion, one of my prayers after communion is um, I am thine, thou art mine. Mm-hmm so this whole sense of belonging personally to god versus being just a grain of sand on the beach is yeah. huge for me
0: or that uh, you again your philo- philosophy background this you are mine this 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 idea of of surrender to god and that we are his as opposed to many people i'm thinking who consider their faith one of the many things in their life almost like they're doing god a favor by uh... accepting him as god uh... allowing god into our life a little bit uh, this verse talks about a complete recognition of of god's sovereignty over who we are
2: um, yes that's a very very important um truth mm-hmm for me happily i came into the church through people who were they were weren't priests or sisters but they were all lay people who were totally devoted to Christ in the church and they thought nothing else mattered except getting to heaven by being as close as possible to the lord as we could be mm-hmm. and so that was you know we never I didn't know anyone well who was any kind of Sunday Christian. Everybody I knew was totally involved in the pursuit of holiness through opening themselves in prayer and in the sacrament, sacraments, particularly confession and the Holy Mass, so that Jesus' love could flood our hearts and we could become better and better instruments for the kingdom of God.
0: I look at this passage, Rhonda, and it amazes me to try and put my mind around the fact that you were an atheistic Jew. I I, I recognize the reality of that, but it's still it just seems like an oxymoron. Um, I mean even Well, this
2: is because I have to say this, this is because Christians know Jews mostly through reading the old testament. Sure. Now, if you knew many Jews, there are some Jews who are holy and filled with religious joy and zeal. But these are very few, a tiny percentage. We had a rabbi teaching um, Jewish roots of Christianity at a seminary I was teaching at. And he said some survey said that only like 10% of Jews really believe strongly in a personal God and in eternal life. So, you all who are listening who aren't Jewish need to pray for (laughs) the Jewish people. Yeah. What happened? Big time. Well, what happened was that when they rejected the old, very traditional practices that were in the ghetto in Europe, especially in Europe, Mm -hmm. and we can understand that because Jesus told us not to follow all those little prescriptions and to, you know have a, a religion of love not to be totally hung up on what you do on the Sabbath. I mean, there's mm-hmm. like 600 laws that Jews, like laws involving eating, sleeping, like you're not yep. supposed to knit on the Sabbath, things like that. Yep. There are all these picayune laws. So when they dropped those, when they became more assimilated into European culture at the at the end of the 19th and beginning of the 20th century, of uh, those Jews gradually lost their identity in terms of their identity was more like being zionists was being, was more popular than an identity as a strong religious Jew following the ritual see mm-hmm.
0: well you know that has happened in traditional
2: catholic countries Oh, yes, absolutely. It's very similar. Mm-hmm. So there are certainly many Catholics and other Christians who go to church maybe twice a year and otherwise have do things that are in really a compromise with the world.
0: yeah, we see cultures I mean, I hate to point a finger at particular cultures, but let's gently maybe mention Quebec, Canada, where at one time it was one of the strongest centers of of the catholic faith in north america where in a very quick time it seems that uh a lot of that was lost and it might be just like you've described where people had based too much of their faith on the externals without the internal confirmation of of conversion uh and when they start questioning the externals then everything's gone and uh I, from an atheistic standpoint, I mean, even in this passage, Rhonda, he who created you. I mean, this passage just reminds us of how much we assume as the foundation for our faith. He who created you. That was counter to your whole background.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, everything was just evolution. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And... So, so
2: I actually personally had these experiences in the course of my conversion. Incidentally, the whole beautiful story you can get free online if you go to my website. I have these things on free ebooks, my conversion story, oh, other things I've written free. When something goes out of print I just put it up free on the as free ebooks on mm-hmm. the web. Um so um and then I mean, I can, there. That's the long story of my conversion, which I don't have time to give here. But a big part of that conversion was actually seeing in a picture, a great masterpiece, seeing the face of Jesus come alive, and other miracles like that, uh-huh. which brought me into the personal sense that God was reaching for me. You know.
0: Yes. Yeah. I. Uh... We're going to uh, take another break in a little bit, Rhonda, um, because what I'd like to do is did you did you understand from an atheistic standpoint? I, I'm I, I know that we have in our audience from emails like get family whose children have left the faith, particularly Christians whose children are no longer Christian, or Catholics whose children are no longer Catholics, and. This this issue of fear, fear not. I don't I can't even get my mind around how I would live and think as an atheist, because so much of my hope is based on exactly what this passage says. God has redeemed me, call me by name. I am the Lord's. Without that, I have no idea how I'd escape even any sense of meaning in life. When we get back from the break, I'd like to talk a little bit more about that. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, and we're joined today by Rhonda Shervin. You're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network.
1: The Coming Home Network International is a nonprofit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are on the journey and interested in learning more about the Coming Home Network International, or know someone who's thinking of becoming Catholic, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org, or contact us at one 800 664-5110. Six six four
0: five one one zero. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host Marcus Grody and I'm joined by Rhonda Shervin. Uh, and uh, Rhonda, we're talking about that your transition, and particularly, again, focusing on this issue of fear. Um, Rhonda, you've you've been on both sides of the those that believe in God, trust in God, experience the beauty that God has to offer, as well as being in the chair where you didn't... I can't imagine that, Rhonda.
2: <laughs> well, this comes up very often. People can't imagine that. But... Um... There are two kinds of atheists. There are atheists who are joyful atheists and atheists who are despairing atheists. And I was the despairing kind because <laughs> I worked it all out philosophically and realized that there is no God, there's no, there's no meaning, there's no purpose, and I was ready to kill myself before mm. I found God.
0: Were you teaching at the same no, time? No,
2: no, I was a student.
0: Okay, all right. And, all right.
2: But, however... Other atheists in my family didn't feel that way at all. What they felt was that there was good things in life, like beauty, love. they are good things in life, and you live for those good things, and you sort of swallow the bitter pill of everything that's bad. But... Um, what I see nowadays, the way people come from, what happens is people feel so miserable, they go, they go for addictions to, to, to try to um, medicate the terrible yeah. feeling of despair and emptiness that they have. And then it seems to me the biggest way that God is working right now with atheists of that type is through a 12-step When they finally get to see, you know, my life is out of control, it's a shambles, I have nothing to live for, everything has disappeared, you know, been dissolved in alcohol one way or another, or alcohol or drugs or all these other addictions, then they begin to pray. All right. And so they're praying in the dark, kind of. And then they're opening to God. See, they, God can't reach them personally, people who have left the faith of their childhood, Christian faith of their childhood. God can't reach them in a certain way very easily until they're ready to admit that their own wonderful self-redemptive plans haven't worked you know, the opposite of being redeemed is what's called self-redemption, which is I'm going to, I have it made, I'm just going to, you know, mm-hmm. work out my plans, I'm going to climb the ladder of success, I'm going to use all these people so that I can be happy. So it's only when those things collapse that people reach out to God again. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, the this passage makes me think about the despair that people might feel either, let's say, they, they just haven't uh, grasped God. Um, it reminds me of of um, my, my wonderful youngest son sometimes will say to me, Dad, I'm sorry. And then later he will say, you know, Dad, I, I don't think I'm really sorry. Because he's thinking that being sorry is a feeling. And he doesn't feel sorry, Right. So, but he's saying it, he wants to be, but he doesn't feel it, and a lot of people feel far from God, they, 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 I want to believe in God, I, you know, I want to accept that, but, but, you know, they're, they're caught up in that inner turmoil.
2: Well, what they have to do is just say the atheist prayer, which is, God, if there is a God, save my soul if I have a soul. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, if they say some, if they, if you just say, if you're listening and you're one of these people, if you just reach out to God and say, "God, I don't believe in you, but I wish I could believe in me," you show me that you're real. It might take a little while, but you know, most people who say that they begin yeah. to experience God in a new way.
0: Talk about that, if you would, because on the surface level, you're. You're talking intellectually from an atheist that doesn't even accept the reality of God to, okay, God, if you're there, you're there. But yet, what you're talking about is at some point in time, you experience the work of the Holy Spirit that really awakens within you the true presence of Christ. Do you remember when that happened to you?
2: Well, it happened to me through this miracle that I saw Christ's face in this old picture come alive. And so then what I was reading in Scripture, trying to figure out why these people I knew who were so wonderful believed this idiot, idiotic stuff, <laughs> he became, when once I saw his face in this vision, then I could read Scripture and see him more, mm-hmm. you know, understand him better, let's say. I, I think it's very, here again, called by name— I have this uh, book I wrote with that title. It's a booklet called Called by Name, Following a Personal Spirituality, and it's one of these free books online on my website. Mm-hmm. And the I, God reaches each person differently, so you can't just say, look, I did this, I said this atheist prayer, and this is what happened. Mm-hmm. Well, you could say that prayer, and he might show you his reality through some spectacular sunset, hmm. or through a little child coming up to you and saying, I love you. It could be anything he'll use, because the Holy Spirit works with us individually. So we can't just have a formula. You know, we're not just yeah. sort of um, cookie-cutter.
0: Right. Well, the, it's like the Catholic prayers. I mean, they, they're time-tested, true they've been there for hundreds of years but they're not magic. I mean they're 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 the uh, the trustworthy aids, assistance, helps that are there to give us something to say when we feel like I just have no way to express what I need. And that's what I was wondering, Rhonda, in these passages that you've you've presented to us here in Isaiah. I mean talk if you would, talk about how these little simple statements can actually be the, that little spark of meditation that can awaken someone that feels fear or despair to be open to God. I mean, just the phrase. Oh, okay. The I phrase have that's you.
2: most popular now in the Catholic Church is "Jesus, I trust in you," sure. and it comes from a Polish sister who had these visions of Jesus and Jesus told her to have this painting made that would represent his mercy mm-hmm. and to stress his mercy you know how people could come into this mercy so we have there's a whole prayers that he dictated to sister Faustina and one of the refrains that comes over and over again is Jesus I trust in you if you're mm-hmm. interested in this you can find it on j- just punch in google search mercy chaplet, yes. and you can hear the whole thing, hear people, When you hear them on EWTN chanting yep. this. So just take a thing, Jesus, I trust in you. I tend to be an anxious person. So whenever <laughs> I have this feeling of anxiety, now I'll just pray, Jesus, I trust in you. Yeah. And if I keep saying those little words, I begin to get peaceful.
0: Yeah, it's both... Uh, just the the saying of them, and it's in that sense, but also it in, it's inviting the Holy Spirit in because you're making room for the Holy Spirit. You're, and in fact, you had mentioned a little earlier in this the little phrase you use before the Eucharist.
2: Yeah, when I'm receiving, no, after receiving yes. the Eucharist, I say, uh, "Thou art mine, I am yours, you are mine." Yes. So just saying that reminds me so I'm not doing it sort of automatically
0: <laughs> but it 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 has that that uh that wonderful power to open our heart uh which is it, it, what that's what God is wanting Jacob and Israel to do in this passage to open up you know um talk a few a little bit about what fear can do to people in terms of forcing them to clench so tightly on what it is they think gives a meaning in life, as opposed to letting go to God.
2: Oh, okay. This is a very personal example, but the Holy Spirit is telling me I have to do that. (laughs) At the time when my marriage was not going very well, I would just clutch on to different men who were spiritual, (laughs) spiritual. And have these spiritual friendships, but underlying the spiritual friendship, there was all—it was really very codependent, is the word we use for that now. Like in some way, yep. I, will na- I will, was making them sort of pseudo husbands <laughs> in terms of the amount of time I would yep. give to talking to these pe- these people. And uh, so all this was coming from this fear that I'm not getting enough love from my husband, and even though I pray constantly, I want, and Jesus is close to me, I want a human being close to me the way my husband was when we were engaged. And I think many, many people go through this. And what I found was that when I was able to forgive my husband and for him to forgive me, And this happened at a prayer meeting where someone said, husbands and wives hold each other's hands and unconditionally forgive each other for everything. Wow, yeah. And when I did that, my marriage started getting better. Mm -hmm. And I was less, I still had these friendships, but I was a little less desperate about them. And they were a little less (laughs) crazy. And I had some spiritual friendships, which were beautiful, in fact, which didn't have this quality to it. Why? Because um, when we can't forgive the people we're living with, that's very frightening. Mm-hmm. You know, you come home and you're not thinking you're going to get smiles and hugs. You're thinking you're going to get scowls and, yeah. you know, anger of one sort or another. So... um you know, fear comes a lot from our own hostility because if you're hostile to other people, you expect them to hurt you. You know, anger mm-hmm. comes from feeling of danger. Mm-hmm. So I do a lot, I have this book, Taming the Lion Within Five Steps from Anger to Peace. And I've done a lot of writing and workshops and um, little groups. And what I find is that underneath the anger is fear. So take anything like road rage. You're afraid these stupid, awful drivers are going to kill you because they're so (laughs) careless or drunk. You get into this rage, but underneath it is you say, I'm angry because they're so stupid, but would you really fearful that they're going to hurt you and the people you love because they're driving so badly, that kind of thing?
0: Yeah, of Psalm 37, 8. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. I mean, that that's a common theme throughout the scriptures. Be angry, but do not sin. Uh, and uh, it, you're, this passage um, where it talks about when you pass through the waters or walking through fire, you know, certainly this will have some connection to the Jewish uh, history of the Old Testament, but bringing it right directly today, that feeling of passing through the waters, passing through fire, water, you feel like you're going to get drowned in your despair, your sorrow, fire, you know, you're being tested in in a way that is beyond your ability. But yet his, his... um,
2: Yes, you see, the main thing is that The same situation, you say, well, I have to be miserable because this and this happened to me. Mm -hmm. And in my case, the worst thing that happened to me was my son committed suicide when he was 19. And that was the worst moment in my life. And uh, so we feel as if nothing can help. This is unbearable. Nothing can help. But then we experience Jesus comforting us. Mm -hmm. In these sufferings slowly not usually right away but after we get over the hysteria of the thing uh, I mean the hysterical misery of the thing then we begin to experience Jesus consoling us and reassuring us that he loved the person who died also that this person is with him and that we have to pray for the person it says in the Catechism that most people who commit suicide are in a state of insanity, so we shouldn't judge automatically right. that they went to hell and so right. forth. Right. So, you know, you turn the grief into prayer and yearning and hope, but that's a grace from Jesus. We can't do that out of ourselves. So I think he allows us to have these terrible experiences so that we will reach out to him twice as passionately as our only Savior. He is our Savior from what? From fear and despair and anger and all the terrible states we can get in without him.
0: Paul says that we should rejoice in our suffering. As a widow, Rhonda, do you, is it a part of your spirituality to think that maybe part of your calling in life is to to recognize that the offering up of the suffering that you ex- have experienced as a widow is for the healing of so many other marriages, people that suffer the same uh, pain that you felt as a result of the the, the death of your son and the yes, passing. Yes, because your
2: husband. Um, even though I'm not better than anyone else right. who's had this suffering, because I've been always been. So close to jesus in, in at mass, holy mass and prayer, daily prayer, the rosary i pray I prayed the rosary every day of my life since I became a Catholic at twenty one so that's fifty one years of <laughs> praying the Rosary every day. I mean it says right in the rosary, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death yeah. Yeah. so it's i'm I'm so steeped in these truths. That I can help other people by by articulating them more so than more so than some others could do. But you know, I mean, the thing is, when someone dies, people don't want words; they want hugs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. They want they want you to say you're praying for them and praying for your departed spouse and so forth. So it's um, it's, but you know, the ability. Like if you don't have enough faith, you're afraid to reach out to the grieving because you don't know what to say to them. But if you have a lot of faith, you could just bring the love of Jesus that's in your heart to them through your love for them.
0: I was thinking of that as we're getting ready to close here in a moment, Rhonda, that there may be people listening who either themselves are struggling with the the fears that we've talked about or maybe despair, or they have someone in their life. Any words of encouragement to them, what they can do, either for themselves or for someone in their life?
2: Well, I mean, it comes down to <laughs> need to just, just um, get out of our own feelings of misery and reach out to other people in their sufferings and reach out through presence, through I don't know. I get a lot of yeah. people are very grateful when I say to them whatever kind of misery they're in. I say, look, I live alone. Call me twenty four seven, any time of the night. I'm happy <laughs> to pick up the phone and talk to you if you're if you're having a crisis. Just to be, mm-hmm. Mother Teresa said the point isn't ability but availability. Mm-hmm. So just to just to. Just pray to Jesus every day, Jesus, please let me become a loving mother, if you're a widow, a loving mother to everyone I meet today. That's one of my widow prayers.
0: Well, I was thinking that that promise in uh, verse 2, when you pass for the waters, I will be with you, that one thing both you and I, Rhonda, have learned to appreciate through our conversion to the church is that Christ is with us not just spiritually, that's true, but through his body. And that's why we're not in this alone. We're in this as brothers and sisters, as a part of the body of Christ and the significance of that. Rhonda, I feel like we've just scratched the surface on a lot of things, but thank you for joining us on Deep in Scripture.
2: Oh, thank you for having me. And may God bless you and this tremendous outreach you have. And may everybody who listened to this today experience just a touch of Jesus' love right now.
0: All right. Thank you, Rhonda. And ditto, everyone. I agree with that completely. God bless you. Look forward to being with you again next week.